0: Hi, my name is Paul Neto. I'm an adjunct professor at Temple University's Japan campus and the co-founder and editor of Tokyo Review. Today, I'm joined by Craig Kafira. Craig, would you like to introduce yourself briefly?
1: Hi, my name is Craig Kafira. I am the assistant director for public opinion and foreign policy at the Chicago Council on Global Affairs.
0: And with that, I now know how to pronounce your name. (laughs) Obviously, the big news in the World of Japan Watchers was the recent assassination of prime, former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe on July 8th. And every time I've been called in to do a media hit for you know whichever country, the question always comes back to Abe being a controversial figure, Abe being a divisive figure. So Craig, giving your background and expertise in public polling How controversial was Abe among the Japanese public? What do the numbers tell us?
1: So I think one of the interesting things about Abe as a political figure is the split that you saw in uh, the level of public support for some of the policies he pushed, which could be quite high sometimes, the level of disapproval about some of the uh, controversies surrounding Abe, such as the cherry blossom uh, viewing party scandal toward the end of his career, And then the generally high level of support for the Abe cabinets over the years. I mean, as the longest serving prime minister in Japanese history, it is remarkable to look at the trend lines of support uh, just for Abe cabinets over the years, generally staying in that nice, favorable territory, which allowed him to win election after election after election.
0: You know, my colleague at uh, Temple University, Michael Chucek, has an expression that he's uh, has noticed a phenomenon that he's described as the Abe paradox, where Abe ca- cabinets are generally very popular, Abe policies are generally very unpopular. Is that a fair phenomenon to, to point out?
1: I think it depends on which policy you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So the big one that everyone's been talking about sort of post-election has been constitutional revision because that now could be on the table in a way that Abe was never able to achieve. But constitutional revision was never really a big public priority. Uh, When Abe was in office, it's still not a huge public priority now. Um, And at times, I think the public saw Abe as pushing these things of very personal interest, when they would really rather him focus on other issues that were of greater public concern.
0: that's actually a good segue, because Kishida has his golden years ahead of him and I don't mean that to, I don't say that to mean that he's about to retire certainly not he's got 3 years ahead where he faces no national level elections unless he wants to call one so the assumption for many people I think is that well he's got all this political space why not try to push push constitutional revision you finally got the majority to do it you've got no elections to worry about. You've got the legacy of Abe smiling over your shoulder. And the thing that I always keep coming back to myself is, well, you know, it's the economy. Inflation is rising. I don't think the the situation with the economy is going to improve, not in Japan, at least. I don't know how bad it's gonna get, but it's certainly gonna be on people's minds. So I think there's a good question about how much Political space Kishida really does have in front of him and what he can accomplish with that. Because to be honest, I don't think it's going to be as much as the revisionists expect.
1: I think that's the right read. And the public is much more concerned about economic issues than they are about uh, security issues or constitutional revision. In the pre election polling, somewhere between 40 and 45 percent of Japanese would cite economic policy as their top priority for the cabinet coming out of the election. Uh, tied for a distant second would be social security and diplomatic and security policy around 15%. Only 5% consistently said the constitutional revision was a top priority for the government. And uh, that reflects the, the greater concern about, you know, the burden of rising prices on households, um, even at a time when Japanese are more concerned about their security environment.
0: I was just about to ask you, the the Ukraine, the invasion of Ukraine, you would expect to have put a more finer point on Japanese concerns about defense and the potential for a similar crisis in the Taiwan Straits, and you're not seeing that, I guess.
1: Well, it's sort of a mixed bag of of polling opinion. I think you do see support now for strengthening Japan's own defense capabilities, and you do see support for increasing defense spending, but there is still a pretty deep reluctance to actually commit the self-defense forces into combat areas. And there's still a pretty deep split about whether or not Japan should acquire this you know, enemy-based strike capability. Uh, there is still this reluctance to engage in those sorts of programs. And then when you look at something further like nuclear weapons or uh, broader constitutional revisions, I just don't see a lot of support there.
0: So between potential contingencies in Taiwan and a global economy, I'm not sure what color I might assign to the golden years, but it looks like it's going to be a lot more challenging than we might have expected. Anyway, Craig, thank you very much for your thoughts. Any quick departing uh, words?
1: It's gonna be an interesting three years for Kushida, that's for sure.
0: Indeed, thank you everyone.